Well, today is Reformation Sunday. It's a time when we stop the last Sunday of October as a church and we think about the Reformation that happened in the 16th century, which was a recovery of the gospel. So we are in that trail. We're part of the Reformation heritage. So we just stop and say, thanks be to God for the gospel, for the, the solas of the Reformation, with the five solas. It's by, you're saved by faith alone, through, by grace alone, through Christ alone, through Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. And it's a, it's a glorious reminder. So let's pray and we'll dive in. Lord, we thank you for this day, and we pray now that by the Holy Spirit, you would take the Word of God and the message of the gospel of peace and make radical application to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. The, the Bible in the Old Testament talks about a coming era of peace. It talks about the coming prince of peace, the Messiah. And when Messiah reigns, there will be peace. Now, we think of peace as the absence of conflict, but it's much more than that in the Bible. There's a wonderful book called Not the Way It's Supposed to Be by a man named Cornelius Plantiga, and he talks about the, the shalom of God, and he says the shalom of God, or the peace of God, shalom, the Hebrew word for peace, the, 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 the peace of God is the webbing together of God, His people, and all creation in a sense of justice and fulfillment and delight. And later it says universal flourishing, universal flourishing, fulfillment and delight. And I want that peace. I, I am thankful for a peace that is the absence of conflict, but I want the peace of Messiah King, which in the Bible is this universal flourishing, fulfillment and delight. And so let me just read some verses about the coming Prince of Peace from the Old Testament that talks about this peace, Isaiah 9, for unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given, <clears throat> and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of the peace, there will be no end. Or Isaiah 32 says, and the effect of righteousness will be peace, shalom, the webbing together of God, His people, and our creation, and flourishing, fulfillment, and delight. There'll be peace, and the result of righteousness will be quietness and trust forevermore. Or Isaiah 54, the mountains may depart and the hills may be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant <clears throat> of peace. Micah 5, and he, the coming Messiah, shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Or in Luke 2, 13 and 14, when a great angelic host joined the angel, and they said, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace upon men on whom his favor rests. Peace, Isaiah, or Ephesians chapter 2 says that he himself is our peace who has destroyed the dividing wall. So some of my question is, how do I get into this peace? How do I experience this universal grace and flourishing and justice and delight? 
How? And, and that's why this is such an important issue. I, I, this is like, this is so, so important. We experience peace with God, the shalom of God, the ironic love of God through the work of Christ alone. Alone. And Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 2 says this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. See, the Scripture teaches we're saved by faith alone through the work of Christ alone. In the day of the Reformation, the church had gone to, into an, an eclipse. There had been, if you've studied church history, there had always been people who preached the gospel of grace, whether they're the, the Lawlers of John Wycliffe or the Waldensians of northern Italy or, or, or the Hussites to a degree. There, there, there were groups that always preached grace, but, but the, the people didn't have the Bible. They didn't have the Bible. And then they heard a liturgy read in Latin that most of them didn't understand. And, and so it was all based upon hearsay and superstition. And so the, the, the people of that day had been taught that, 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 that salvation was something that was a result of the cross and their efforts. They had, they had to make themselves worthy to receive grace. It was called inherited righteousness. And, and the reformers came along and they had the Bible in their language and they said, no, a thousand times no. You, you see... There's something called infused grace, which means grace is gradually given to you. Your standing is gradually given to you as you do well in the light of the cross. The reformers came along and said, no, it's not infused. It is imputed. It is a declarative statement. We are declared righteous in God's sight, not through self-effort and through a process, but through faith in the work of Christ and Christ alone. Something happened outside of us. We live in an era when people, all world religions say, you've got to work yourself into the presence of God. You just, something you got to do. We say, we stand up with, with a Bible and we say, no, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, by faith. And it gives you confidence, it gives you liberty, it gives you freedom. When I was a child, I don't know if they'd still do this. You know, you'd have a, a crush on a girl for me. No. And so I would pick up, a, what was it, a daffodil with the petals? Da daisy? Daisy. A daisy. Okay, daisy. Thanks. We have a flower expert down here, a horticulturalist. She loves me. She loves me not. She loves me. She loves me not. She loves me. And then she loves me not. And you get another one because it didn't come out the way you wanted to do it. You know? So you keep on. See, I'm not making light of people, but there, there are people who say, who claim the name of Christ, you cannot know if you're truly a Christian because you just don't know. You just try harder. You just double down and try harder. And I'm saying, that's misery. And that's not the gospel. And so 
I, 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 therefore, since we've been justified by faith, Christ alone, the Westminster Confession, this is article, oh, let me tell you, this is good. We'll go back and I'll tell you this. Just some metaphors. Martin Luther, who kind of started the Reformation, said justification by faith is the, is the article upon which the church will stand or fall. And that's a strong statement. The article upon which the church will grow and rise and stand strong in the culture is just understanding justification by faith. John Calvin, who died 18 years after Luther, says that the Reformation is the hinge upon which all of doctrine hangs. That's strong. So it's not one of these, well, you know, if you get this, no, they said this is central. The bullseye of a target is, is the character of God and the reality of God in Christ. The triune but right outside of that bullseye is this teaching they're saying. And then J.I. Packer, here we go, in our own day, Packer is an older man now, but he said that, 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 that justification by faith is the atlas upon whose shoulder every other doctrine stands. This, this is huge. So back to the Westminster Divines, 1640s, they said this. We're declared right in God's sight, not by infusing righteousness into us, but by pardoning their sins and accounting and accepting their persons as righteous, not for anything wrought in them, done in them, or done by them, but for Christ's sake. What's the word? Alone. That's a key word. They said it's only the work of Christ. Luther said it is, he called it an alien righteousness. He said, you're saved not because of what you have done or what's been done in you, but what was done for you outside of your own existential experience on a cross by the living God named Jesus. Alien righteousness. You're saved by faith alone. There's an old hymn many of us have sung. It's entitled, it goes, to God be the glory, great things he has done. So loved he the world, he gave us his son. But another stanza says this, O perfect redemption, the purchase of God, to every believer, the promise of God. It says that, that when you trust in God, that moment from Jesus, a pardon you receive. You see, that moment, you're declared righteous. When, you, when, when God works in your heart and you run to the cross, as far as your position in Christ... As far as your acceptance in Christ, you are as whole as someone who has been a believer 50 years and has served Christ with great effort. We're saved by the work of Christ. I want to, I've got to get this. And so we go to the text. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. The word stand is, 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 a, is a term of acceptance. We, we, but because of grace, because of the cross, we stand in the presence of God. Personal failure. I heard this week about a couple that I've, I know and been married 40 years and they're, they're separating. I'm like, Are you kidding me? I just thought, God, have mercy. See, personal failure is never beyond the realm of possibility. Never. Never. You're one dumb decision away from blowing it. 
Francis Schaeffer, who meant so much to me as a young Christian, I think a very good thinker. Francis Schaeffer said, as an older man, I think he died in 1981-82, he said, he said I, I, I will never use the term shocked again because he said people can do incredible things. And I said, yeah, you're right. So you're, you are never, you're never outside of the realm of personal failure. Never. But listen to this. L- listen. If you're in Christ, if you're justified by faith, you will never, 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 never be cast away. In fact, the same little confession, Westminster chapter 11, article 5, says that, that, that because we're in Christ, we will never be separated from God. Because we're in Christ. Now, we, we may grieve the Holy Spirit. We may call forth the, the fatherly discipline of God in our lives. We may silence the, the, the voice of, uh, of His blessing in our life. And we'll stay there until we repent and return and come back to the Lord. But we will never be cast out. Never. Never. I had a chance to speak to some women to our women this week. And they gave me the passage, Colossians 3, 1-4, which is a wonderful passage. It says, since you, you, know, you, you died, and, and, and he says, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. See? Devil protection. With Christ in God. Never. Never be cast out. That, 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 that's because of the work of Christ. It should cause us to sing and dance and rejoice and be glad. Did you get it? If, if I went to bed, you see, I'll tell somebody this. I, this is kind of morbid. But if, if you go to the doctor and they say, well, then it looks like something may be going wrong here. And they do tests and you go back and you, with fear and trepidation, the doctor says to you, he says, everything's fine. You know what that is? That's the stay of execution. We're going to die. We're going to die. When you go to sleep tonight and you think, you know, and we're going to wake up. We're going to wake up. See, I, I am hidden with Christ in God. And if I die tonight, I go to heaven. Because I've been justified by faith through the finished work of Christ. Thanks be to God, my standing before him does not depend on my puny efforts or my, my tearful confessions or my lack thereof. It depends on Jesus. When you get there, let me tell you something. You rejoice. I believe that. You dance. That's why this, I agree with Luther and Calvin. I'm sure they'd be thrilled. And J.I. Packer, this is the article upon which the church will stand or fall. This is the article upon which my joy stands or falls. This is the hinge upon which my celebration goes back and forth. It says says here, I love this statement. It says, through him we have obtained access by faith. Obtained access by faith. A few years ago, some of you who are young, there was a time long ago when the Carolina Panthers won football games. In fact, one year they were in one of the greatest Super Bowls ever played, and it wasn't that long ago. Um, they played the New England Patriots, and it was a great game. And the next year, the schedule came out, and the New England Patriots on a, a 
a particular Sunday in October, we're coming to Charlotte to play the Carolina Panthers. It's a rematch of the Super Bowl teams. Well, in our fair city, there was a giant sale going on, and they said if you, re- if you buy something and register, and they'll put your name in a huge pot, and there were hundreds and hundreds of people who did this, and if you win, you get a, a full access pass to the Carolina Panther New England Patriot game. And um, so they drew the name on a Monday for the following Sunday game, and one of our pastors and received two tickets. He came, Greg Tuck, he came to me. He said, you know, you don't believe what's happened. I said, what? He said, I, I've won this full access to the Carolina Panther New England game. I said, what does that mean? He says, we have box seats. We get a, a pass to be on the field before the game. We get to see the locker room. I'm going to be out there with my son now, hopefully with, with Tom Brady, you know, Tom here, Tom here. I see, he said, they, they're going to give us a full lavish meal. I said, it is the deal. He said, but I need to ask you, can I miss this Sunday? And I said, brother, you can't miss this Sunday. <laughs> I said, I'll be glad to take your tickets and go for you. <laughs> no, but he, he went, I mean, a full, listen, full access. Wow. That's the same word that's used here. Full access. In the book of Hebrews, it says we draw near to the throne of grace with confidence because of Christ. But that's in chapter 4. But then in chapter 10, it says this. For, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, the Old Testament law, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. You see, the sacrificial system was a year-to-year deal. They were looking forward to the coming Messiah. God is passing over our sins from year to year. We're looking forward to the coming Messiah King who will take away our sins. So, then verse 11, same chapter. And every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the sacrifices which can never take away sins in the Old Testament. But when Christ had offered for all times a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. I just love this. One act. One act. He sat down. It's finished. And he says by this one act, he has perfected past tense completed action those who are being sanctified. See, we're never done with sin. We're, we're continuously growing in, in the grace and knowledge of Christ. But, but that's but, but our position is we are perfect in Christ. And because of Christ, we have access into the throne room of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we come with great... Do you, do you get it? I mean, do you get this? Do you have this joy? Do, 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 do you have this incredible joy? I mean, does the gospel make you want to... Rejoice and be glad and sing and celebrate. There was a Martin Luther started the Reformation. Um, there's a guy named Karl Barth who said this. I didn't tell the other last hour of this. Karl Barth said that Martin Luther 
and it really was inadvertent. He was just writing against the, the incredible excesses of, of the, uh, the system whereby you'd give money to the church and buy people out of purgatory. It's just a silly thing, kind of tetzel. But anyway, so Luther was like a, a, a man going up the stairs in a huge cathedral, the belfry, and it's pitch black. And he stumbles and he falls. And as he's falling down, he reaches out and he grabs the rope to the bell and he sets off a cataclysmic sound that wakes up the whole city. Now, I think that's a good illustration. Luther inadvertently stumbled into this gospel of grace. In fact, it was two years after he posted the 95 Thesis, two years after. He's a monk. He's a monk. And, and he's, he says, I, could, I couldn't get peace with God. I couldn't get peace with God. So people come to me and they say, Brother Martin, just love God. And he said this, and it's an amazing statement. Love God, I hated him. I hated him. Now, that's probably not said by very many monks. He says, I hated him because I saw the standard of righteousness that I had to get to, and I realized I could never, ever, ever get there. I just couldn't measure up. It's powerful. And so he said, I kept on beating on the Apostle Paul day and night. Read the Bible day and night. And it says, and I came to Romans 1. I just struggled in Romans 1 that says, the just shall live by faith. And he said, I've been taught and I thought all my days that the just live by the faith that they work up within themselves. And then I saw that, that, that the faith that I live by is the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And I read the Bible, it's so clear. But Luther says, when I saw that two years after Wittenberg, he said, when I saw that, this passage of Paul became to me a gate of paradise itself. And so it's all about personal pronouns. And can it be that I should gain an interest in my Savior's blood? They sing that today in, in the gym. No condemnation now I dread. Why? Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. See? Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, would die for me? For me. And that, that causes the joy bells to ring. And he says this, we also rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The glory of God is an expansive, broad term that means the power of God. It means the, 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 the wonder of God. It, 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 it means the weightiness of God. And Calvin says, when you see the glory of God, we, you see, here's this quote, we do business with God. We live before the face of God. We understand the chief in the man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, the glory of God. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of the magnificent wonder on the, of God. We no longer fear him because we come to him through the work of Jesus. Luther said this, he says, to, to believe in such a God and the gospel of such grace is to go down upon your knees. And thanksgiving. We rejoice. See, rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in the hope. There's, again, Martin Luther died in 1546. He was 62 years old. Uh, he married a woman who's 15 years younger than him, a former nun named Catherine von Bora. They had five children. He had a little daughter named Magdalena. At the age of 14 or 15, I'm not, records aren't clear, she died. She died. See, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God.
And she was a wonderful child. She had trusted Christ. And let me just read it. This is, to me, this is a precious. Here's Martin Luther, the champion of the Reformation, struggling manfully with grief. The little girl's dead. He writes to a friend named Justice Jonas, I believe the report has reached you that my dearest daughter, Magdalena, has been reborn into Christ's eternal kingdom through her death. I and my wife should joyfully give thanks for such a glorious departure and blessed end by which Magdalena escaped the power of the flesh, the world, the Turk, and the devil. Yet the force of our natural love is so great that we are unable to do this without crying and grieving in our hearts or even without experiencing death in ourselves. Even the death of Christ, see, the, the, feet, said, the thought of our dying daughter remains deeply engraved in our hearts. Even the death of Christ is unable to take all away as it should. You therefore give thanks to God for us. For indeed, God did a great work of grace when he glorified our flesh in this way. Magdalena, as you know, had a mild and lovely disposition and was loved by all. God grant me and all my loved ones and all my friends such a death, or rather such a life. It's so tender. He's saying, you know, the reality of Christ, I hope, would take all the sting away, but it doesn't. I am grieving. He was just heart sick. And the story goes, and it was written by several people who were there, that they, their body was laying they were grieving her death and had a wake, and then the, the people came in who were to bury her, and, and they, they, they put the lid on the coffin as the parents were grieving on the little wooden box, and they started tenderly nailing the hammer, nailing the nails around it. And they said, Luther jumped up, and he screamed out, Hammer away! Do your work! She will rise on the day of judgment! <laughs> That's so powerful. Rejoice in the hope. Do your work. Nail it shut. She will rise on the day of judgment, on the resurrection of the dead, when she will meet her, her Savior in the air. See, we, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And it leads to, to a life of humility. Because Romans chapter 4, Paul says, this is just a... It's apostolic humor, I think. He says, chapter 4, verse 2, if, For if Abraham, our father Abraham, the Old Testament saint, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him or credited to him as righteousness. Now the one, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as is due, when you work for, for a, a job and the job is X dollars, you get paid. That's not credited. That's not a gift. You earned it. And, and the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. It's credited to him. Humility. The last thing Luther did, he couldn't speak. He, had, uh, he was dying. His, he wrote in German and Latin this statement, we are beggars, that is true, when he died an hour later. See, God gets the glory. 
God gets the glory. Now, church, this flows from Scripture. Luther said about the Reformation, while I sat and, 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 and feasted and, and drank, he says, the Word did it all. He says, we just preached the Bible. And, and the Word did more to destroy the existing authorities of papacy than all the princes and all the armies of the world. You just unleashed the Word. The Word did it all. So our understanding of these things flows from our understanding of the Bible. And I just say this, one of the great themes of the Reformation was the Bible alone. Read the Bible, study the Bible, know the Bible. Know the gospel of grace as you read and study the Bible. Be be people who love Scripture. The the Scripture alone. It's it's the Scripture alone. There's a phrase that was adopted 100 years after the Reformation that says the church is capital R, reformed, and always small r, reforming according to the Word of God. I need the Word of God to change my life. I need the Word of God to be unleashed in me and teach me the things of God. Be people of the Bible. Now listen, I'll be finishing. If you, every demographic study about what people think today, every study, it's discouraging. It says that the worldview of most Americans is scant at best. And, and, and really, they interview hundreds of people who are in evangelical churches, and it's not much better, and it's discouraging. It's, it's ultimately incredibly discouraging. But, but you know what? We do. We teach the Bible. And we plead with people to develop a biblical worldview. Take the Word of God, be discipled, be mentored, be nurtured. Take it and get it in your life. This is, this is who we are. This is our purpose statement. Equipping people. Equipping people. Us. Believers to pursue Jesus passionately so they can impact their culture. Equipping, training, teaching. We said a disciple, is, a disciple rejoices in the gospel, is changed by the word, and makes disciples among all peoples. But you're changed by the word as you rejoice in the gospel. You see that? I just love that definition. A, a, a disciple is, rejoices in the gospel. The hinge the article, Atlas, rejoice in the gospel of grace, and you're changed by the word of God. And you make disciples among all the nations, among all peoples. That's who we are. You lift up the standard. Calvin gave an incredible metaphor. It doesn't hit us very hard unless you've been camping. If you've ever been camping in the middle of the wilderness, and when it gets dark, it gets dark. I mean, most of us were surrounded by lights and city street lights, and it, but it can be really dark at night if you're out in the middle of nowhere. But Calvin, of course, died in 1564, so it was, Geneva was small. Outside of Geneva, you know, there's no, you know, it's just candle power, you know. So, so Calvin said this, he said that p- people who do not have the gospel but are made in the image of God, when it comes to understanding life, it's, it's like a man standing out in a moonless night when a, an electrical storm comes through and lightning falls from heaven. Boom. 
And just for a nanosecond, he didn't use that word. That's okay. Just for a nanosecond, they see. Boom. Boom. I think so. He said, but people who take the scripture, it talks about the character of God and the destiny of man and man made in the image of God. He talks about beauty and creation and glory. He said, this, the Bible is like giving spectacles to a man who can't read. He can read. You put on, you put on the spectacles. You see. Another place he says that, that, that the Bible is like, a, is like a loving mother or a nurse talking to an infant who's just a few months old. That's why God speaks to us. We need the spectacles to see grace. A disciple is someone who rejoices in the gospel. And it's changed by the word and impacts people. That's what I want us to be. In Proverbs chapter 4, this illustration hit me. Chapter 4, verse 18 says this. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. You know, the sun's coming up, you can see, because brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They don't know what they stumble over. Walk in the light of Christ. And again, it begins with the gospel. A disciple, someone who rejoices in the gospel, is changed by the word and builds into people, impacts the culture. If you're, if you're not sure what you believe about this gospel, and if you think, well, maybe I've got to do something, I would love to talk to you. There are people in blue shirts in the hallway, they'll say, well, talk to this person. But we want you to understand, this, this is the hinge. This is the article. This is it. Well, let's stand as we close in prayer. Okay, let's stand. We glory in you, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we rejoice in the gospel of grace. We rejoice in the goodness of Christ. We rejoice, Lord. We just rejoice. We're so glad. We are just exuberant, really, that our acceptance before you does not depend on our efforts. It does not depend upon our tears of confession. It depends solely on the work of of our substitute on the cross for our sin. And I pray that as we think about that and as we glory in that, that you would change us. Not to earn favor, but because we're just glad. Because we know that that your shalom is the universal flourishing. It is wholeness and it is delight in the living God. So we want that. Teach us to be people who call out to you. Teach us to be people who pray as you taught your disciples to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks be to God. Amen.